Hi, and welcome to DeWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. My name is Chris Alfalt, the editor of The Toolkit. And my guests today are the directors of Uncut Gems. We're welcoming back to the podcast Josh and Benny Safdie. And support for today's show comes from Amazon Studios presenting The Aeronauts, a suspenseful and visually stunning film that critics proclaim is an engrossing big screen spectacle. Starring Felicity Jones and Eddie Redmayne, it's awards eligible and for your consideration in all categories, including Best Picture, Best Director Tom Harper, Best Actress Felicity Jones, and Best Visual Effects. Now in theaters and available December 20th on Prime Video. And now my conversation with Josh and Benny. You talked about the fact that this was uh, 10 years to get made, and, and we'll talk about some of this stuff. There's some real obstacles and reasons why something this would be hard to make, but you made a distinct point that also in those obstacles and in that journey to make this film, it's possible that you also became ready to make this film. Like almost my instinct of interpreting what one of you had said was that you needed to develop to the point that you could tell a story like that. Am I am I wrong in that? Absolutely, that's absolutely a, a correct assertion because we didn't really have the right to make this movie. Uh, the grand nature of the world itself, the jewelry world, the world of professional athletes, the world of you know professional entertainers, uh, but most importantly, the the uh, the plot and the and and the the world that the character dictates is just expensive um but 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 that's that's kind of demeaning to the journey to say that that's what we weren't we we didn't have the right to earn the budget it was we didn't we didn't earn we didn't have enough stripes to uh, um basically attack to tell certain parts of the story exactly Uh, and to um basically understand pacing um understand uh, uh um Lovability and how to access that with a character, genre filmmaking. Um, Good time was m- in very instru- monumentally in- instrumental um, in the in the understanding of the pacing of uncut gems. There would not be um, an uncut gems without all of its predecessors. And, and and we and you know Adam Sandler was we Howard from the very beginning we knew needed to be someone who was larger than life, someone who you kind of knew, who was a local celebrity. And a local celebrity has that familiarity to you, to them. And, and uh, you know, Adam Sandler's a big star, you know, and <coughs> and we didn't have the, we didn't have, we didn't have the credibility. That, we couldn't get across the moat, you know. The- yeah, a lot of movie stars have moats. And you got to, you got to have like the tools to get over the moats. And then once you get inside the moat, then you're at the guard and then you're at the guard. You got, you got to work the guard. And then finally you get to the, the king or queen and it's just kind of, you know, and then, then it's just a matter of do you vibe? Well, there, there, It's funny. You mentioned good time. There's a scene in good time at the bail bonds. And I remembered while we were shooting it, there's like. How many? There's one, two, three, four. Four characters, right? Five characters. Four characters. Four characters. I don't know who the fifth would be. But it's omnipresent. No. <laughs> so there's four characters, and they're all speaking at the same time, at different moments to one another. So the line is literally switching between two people in one word. And it was just so crazy that I remember while we were shooting it, we were like, I wonder if this is going to work. Like, I don't even know if it's going to be possible to edit this together. But I was like, all right, we can, I think we can do it. We can do it. Just make sure everything is in, in on point, and we'll we'll make it work. And it did work. And then after that, I was like, "Huh, 
We can do that. Like we can. Well, it was calm, but it was a calm in the storm. It was a calm because it's the, four yeah. characters, but six conversations. Yes, that's, that's what, it was. what makes okay, it. Okay, so it's yeah. and it's always changing. So there's like the the receptionist is talking to to the bail bonds and their husband and wife. So they have one thing, and then he turns and looks at Rob for a split second. And then Rob looks at the receptionist. So the, everything have their is phone switching. conversations. And there's and Rob yeah, there's phone Jen. conversations. So it was that was kind of like a prep for certain scenes in Uncut Gems where it was like okay. If we can do that, we can go times 10 and, and add so many more characters all talking at the same time. Yeah, that and was, we'll make it work. There was a solace to be found in knowing that we were able to make the, the scene in the Bell Bondsman with, with Jennifer, uh, Jason Lee's character, uh, the Corey and Connie character, knowing that we could make sense of that scenario, because that's really what most filmmaking is, is making sense of a scenario. And... And, and like really making sense, like understanding its point of view. If we can do that with that scene, we could do we. It, it allowed us to feel because from the very beginning, as very early on in the script process, there was this gargantuan section of the script that sometimes I think in its one iteration was thirty page sequence, and it was the sequence where you introduce Kevin Garnett in the movie. And there's a lot of characters inside the showroom, and and it kind of vacillated between how many speaking characters there were and. And then we simplified it over time. And what you see in the movie is the most simplified version, which have if you've seen the movie, you'll know it's not a simple scene at all. There's a lot going on. There's the back room. There's the showroom. There's the cameras, what have you. And uh, but there was there there was something. From what's it? What the greatest part about being a, uh, a writer director is that you get to. Uh, you basically you you're you're directing from the second you put a word down on the script because you have to actually put yourself in that scenario and see if you can see it to if you can bring it to life and and having done that scene <clears throat> started the pare down process. Okay, well this is this is too much. This is overload and this is gonna be information overload. So that start helped with the editing process. Good time that and then specific scene and then in the uh, you know shot listing and storyboarding of it all also help because you have to take this it's it's the hectic part about about a scene like that is you have to take this and I'm not even a football person but I when I do watch football what I can relate to something that I is very deep to me is is when the quarterback receives the ball and and is surrounded right there you have all this defense trying to make their way to to to, to sack him in the him. pocket and he's in the pocket, and you can just see he's got de- defense all around him, and he can move around, and the pocket can move with him, but he's in the pocket, and all he's looking for is a pass or a run, and that pocket is kind of like a scene like that. You kind of just have to try to find the pocket and and toe the line, make sense of this. If you work at it one piece at a time, if you build your way up, eventually it'll all make sense on some level as long as you have you're communicating. So, yeah, the good time was 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 huge, huge. And and uh, you know, I was just thinking about the Benny and I were talking about this on our way here um because I we were just cleaning out some stuff in our office and I found our first our, our script for that movie we did that we wanted to follow up Gems with Daddy Long Legs. And I found the script for it and there it's 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 a 46-page novella. But like, if you put it in like actual like paperback things, it would probably be like a ninety-page book. But it reads like a book, you know. And we had written scripts, and we did that in defiance of what a script is. You know what I mean? We didn't want it to die on the script. But I'm reading it out loud to Benny just like forty minutes ago, and 
it's you can visualize the movie. It's almost exact, which is crazy. But I was saying, I was like, the cool thing about Daddy Long Legs and Heaven Knows What is they're truly independent movies. Like when I say independent, I mean like they don't depend on any pre-existing concepts. The structuring of the production was was so. It just came from us. It was just unique. It was our production designer, was our prop minister, was doing the accounting. I was doing some of the accounting. Everyone's doing everything. I'm holding the camera, and you're just, it's, it's a, it's a, I mean, of course, it has its own kind of absolute power structure, but it just was like, to the point when we did Good Time, it was like we were actually learning. That's why I said it was like our first movie movie. We had an AD for the first time, you know, on Good Time. We had a script yes, supervisor yes, for the first time. We had a lot of things that that are structural, that come de- that are dependent on the way things have been, and that was again we couldn't have done that jump on a movie like Gems, and and I love everyone we've ever worked with, but uh, you know who 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 cared, and usually the people we work with care, otherwise they don't work with us. Um, but it is, it's interesting to think about that we, there's all these jumps. I know it's a very long-winded answer yeah. for your very simple question, um, but it's complicated. That's but the part yeah. that, 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 oh, I'm sorry, no. No, no, sorry. Well, I mean. That's not, let, we're not going to let you get one word in here. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because I mean, I think part of what you're talking about is also um, not only, you know, learning those things, but also working, you guys have a very unique way of working. And so how to not compromise that and evolve it into a larger production system. Yeah. And, and, you know, one thing I, you know, Howard's shop is, is a real shop, right? That's a, no, that's, that's a set. That's a set. That's okay. a stage. Yeah. Okay. But still, it's pretty, still a pretty tight space, yes, right? We, oh yeah. We made it so that you, we couldn't move around too much. Cause one thing I instantly zeroed in on as a, as a big fan of your films is that the amount of characters and the amount of things that you're putting in there, the kind of energy and the frenzy that I expect from your films, it's got, you got to kind of hit that in a different way in a space like that. Like I can, I'm trying to imagine the way that you normally stage a scene and then suddenly thinking about how, you know, in that, in that space and with all those characters, it's not, it's not Rob running down the street yeah, yeah. and all these like kind of, oh, yeah, it's, sure. it's a whole staging in a way of thinking. And it, what's so remarkable about those scenes is is that it feels so much like your other stuff but it's you have to use a whole different set of tools yeah yeah to do that right yeah it's it's funny because when we had all of those people in there it's um we would have basically we would we would do the scene without kind of telling people where we there's general vicinities of where people were going to be but the actors have a lot of freedom in where they're going to walk and move so we'll do the scene and we'll shoot our rehearsal and then that kind of sets the blueprint for our blocking so that alone already makes the scene have a certain energy, which is intense, but it's like you then have to kind of rework a lot of the shots that we had to plan. We have the idea of our coverage, but then you just have to kind of shift your identity on it. So it kind of keeps it fresh and gives it a, a kind of a, a lived-in quality that normally wouldn't be there if we kind of ratcheted people down. But, but yeah, like you mentioned before, like that taking the, the way we work up to another level I'll usually I, on all the films previous, I would do the sound, you know, the, on heaven knows what I literally was holding, mixing the sound and holding the boom. It was like a documentary and daddy longest. It was 50%. Josh was filming and I was running sound half the time. Um, and this time they were, I was told like, you can't, you cannot hold the boom. You're not in that union. And I was like, but I've, but I was like, but I said, but I've done it somewhat. I really respect the craft. And so it was a long process of getting into the union. 
and I finally got into the union like the day before. It was it was an amazing feeling. And then here I was. We got onto the production, and I'm I can hold because there's a, there's a point of view that I have as a boom operator where you're right in the scene with everybody. You know, everybody else is out of the room except for you. And it's Frederick it, Wiseman directs his documentaries from the boom. You know, there's a there's a proximity yeah. that the that that is overlooked of the that position that the boom operator. They are the closest person usually to the. They're the most intimate crew member with the actors. Usually, and and I think the our sound crew felt very empowered mm-hmm. walking around on these tech scouts because one of the directors was in their team. Yeah. And usually, the sound departments are bastardized a little bit on sets. Like, just get away, yeah. leave us alone, make it work. <clears throat> I think that a huge part of of <clears throat> trying to figure out you know how do we fit in i mean because good time was 10 times the size of heaven knows what but gems was 10 times the size of good time so you're like you kind of start to like the big the big thing was was union filmmaking and 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 knowing the benefits that come with with that uh and and you're getting the talent you know you're getting the pool of talent is is um they're veterans and you're getting a lot people know what they're doing not that it, not that we didn't we had people who didn't know what they were doing but you're just getting it's just a different access to a different pool of people and and part of it was trying to figure out how do we uh, uh, kind of syncopate our ideas and our approach to storytelling with this new machine like you said and a big part of that was was working with some you know we had a handful of people who worked on on good time worked on gems but someone like Darius Kanji who who when he saw good time, was you know said well if you guys go to the next level you know I'd love to if you want to go up to the next level I'd love to be the person to usher you or bring you there what have you and uh, you know it's it was a union film Sean Price Williams isn't even union so it couldn't he couldn't even he doesn't want to be in the union he'd he'd probably very proudly say that uh, so and and we wanted to we wanted to work with you know someone who. Um, we wanted. To, I like Darius. I'm a big fan of Darius. Mm. I wanted to try something new. Hard, hard not to be. So and yeah, exactly. He's one of the greatest. But he was really instrumental in in building the crew in an organic way. You know, he had because of his pedigree. He looked at he it like had, casting. You know? He had the he had the the luxury of being able to pick, you know, crew members who would work with the vibe that we were trying to go for, and he knew, like Benny was saying, we don't like to restrict actors and performances. We like to let people feel like they can do what they want. And then, you you know, as directors, you, you kind of move them around and you kind of either manipulate through direction or what have you <clears throat> to get what you want. But you don't want to have, like, marks on the ground and try to create this illusion that everything is real. Uh, and he, you know, brought uh, a gentleman by the name of Chris Solano to run the camera department. And he used this thing called the Light Ranger, and it was something that Kubrick was really into, um, but he he tried using it on Eyes Wide Shut, but it didn't. It was the technology wasn't there yet, and it's basically like a, it's it's, it's kind of like an AI a little bit. It, it 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 interprets your frame, and it comes up with these kind of moving graphs that you kind of they're planes of focus, and you have to know how to use. The hard part is is actually knowing how to use it, and uh, Chris has a whole cult of people that he teaches how to use this, and the 
it was very clear because Darius wanted to shoot anamorphic. That was his first presentation to us. His you, your your movie is so much about the face. He was looking at our casting already, and he's like, and the the anamorphic does what anamorphic does to the face. He's like, it's like three D. It's like it makes people look like jewels. Um, you can see, you can feel the dimension, uh, the third dimension. So, but what happens with anamorphic is that you have very and we're shooting two push two stops. No depth of field. You get very little depth of field, and uh, which makes keeping focus very difficult. <clears throat> so Chris met us, and there was another camera assistant who we were, who was in contention, and he we met this guy, and he was just like, he was just he felt like he whatever cult he was a part of, I wanted to be part of it. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> he just had a, he radiated a certain positivity, which felt like you know on a film film sets are nasty Make, you, you don't want someone that is, you, there's a problem with sometimes with union things is there's a way of doing things and exactly. they're not flexible exactly and it's like if you're not in that school this is how we did it oh and yeah, we yeah. and we had and we had from from everyone everyone was just seemed so inspired on this project it was yeah. maybe the first couple of days people were feeling us out like who are these guys or whatever yeah there was but the, then there was real inspiration and but but chris said from the very beginning he's like guys you can't make this no marks no this he goes there's only one way to make this movie with the Light Ranger, and 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 uh, and it was true. The focus in the film is is pretty exceptional, and and he very I think maybe once or twice asked for another take for focus, and, and I never even thought about it. It became a luxury that I never even thought about. And again, it's like as we were kind of feeling out the production, it was also on our end like, oh my god, everybody here can do everything so well that we can do what we thought times ten, you know, so we can bring new ideas to how we would approach scenes because everybody was so capable and good at it. And, and there's not one department that, that yeah. I haven't worked in in the past. You yeah. know what I mean? I made props. I've, I've worked as an art director. I've wanted to be an architect. I can build the, I could draft. I've built a structure before. I want, I want to be involved in the set construction. I was a cinematographer. I knew I know how to run the set. You know, these are, you kind of, when you have your hand, when you've had a, your hand in all of these you, departments, you built a house you, for one of my shorts in college. I know, yeah, that was insane. <laughs> uh, it was legit. The uh, but but you but when when you have that taste, it kind of every single element becomes exciting. Like the graphic design element becomes exciting, and I ended up doing a lot of work and sending it to our graphic designer. So there's a collaboration, and and it's just kind of it again. It all stems. I think it all stems from like even when I was a little kid, I used to tell these stories and I would like want to be like reporting back like a real story that happened and I, they would be run on stories people are like enough with this story already but I wouldn't be satisfied with the telling the story until there was plausibility on the adult side like was that real and uh and I, and what my method was and I did this even when I started to become a drawer I would just add so many details in the drawing and eventually the amalgamation of all the details would actually lend itself to something that felt um of life and uh I think that we've that's carried over into filmmaking because every even these sometimes some of these featured extras we're spending so much time <laughs> casting them working with them and every department gets that level of attention and and I'm not saying we're doing it because that's like how to make a movie. That's just only, I don't, I would feel like I didn't do everything I could to try to, because I find that like if you don't, I'll always see that. And there are some things in the movie that I'm like, fuck, I wish I spent more time on that. You know what I mean? One thing, and I have assumed, I, 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 you know, 
Skip Leaves Hay is the, I think I read, my listeners know Darius Kanji. Skip is the Darius Kanji of sound mixers. And, and, Invented and, Atmos, basically. And, and, and one thing that really happens with this movie in terms of your palette even is, is this, the use of these multi-tracks mm-hmm. and, and getting it. And when I, and what's so impressive about the step that you took in this is how much of, so much of the energy you have and so many of the things you're doing is coming from within the frame and sound itself seems like it was such a big part of the conception of this. And I want to talk about the mix and some of the things, but I'm wondering how much of that um, also came in the conception and kind of knowing that you have to do this. Cause obviously someone like Skip comes in later, but is this something that's kind of baked into this from the start is we're going to yeah. record multiple yeah. tracks and yeah. things like that. We, we were very like conscious of how we, everybody had to have a microphone, you know, a, a lavalier microphone. We wanted to have the best boom mics that we could find to get on. Yeah, them. Sometimes the sound, sound recorder would be like, you want me to give him a mic yeah, yeah. or her a mic? And I was like, yeah, but he, doesn't have any, she doesn't, he or she doesn't have any lines. It's like, they might. Yeah, they might say something. And we want to be able to have that at perfect quality because we also don't know where. But then the AD looks at us like, no, 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 they can't say something. That's yes. an extra. Yeah, We'll the- have to pay more money if they speak. And it's like, well, they're like, if they come up to me, they whisper, like, listen, if we put a microphone on them, we have to pay them. Yeah. And I was like, hmm. All right, and then I would like try to bargain how many people we could put a mic on. And then you just go to Benny's the boom op, so Benny yeah, just so knows I'll be able to, can I'll dig in. I'll just slide. I'll and then slide we just it over. give them the line anyway. And then you're because we actually had to do that in the script process. We had to cut certain characters out who had one line because in the right, budgeting so the price process, of an extra is yes. Than well, the, a when they're putting part. on paper, but then it ends up. And then you what we do is then on the day of you add the dialogue back in, so it's already been greenlit for the day. Now and we're never going to get another script greenlit again, you know. <laughs> No, but the, but basically, yes. So we we knew that was a very important part of it because something again on Good Time that we learned was everything had we had to have certain audio in order to cut it together. You know, it was like something that we were, we understood that. But then again, it was just we were always interested in these in these movies, like or Altman movies, where they 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 had this, and even Brisson has like weird use of sound. Um, it's always something that's been intriguing, and so here it just made sense. The world kind of has this electric vibe to it. We want to be able to hear everything. And so we tried as much as possible to capture it on, in production. And then when we got into the mix, we realized, oh, we can get all this stuff out and we can add more. And, and what was great yeah. was Rudin and, and Eli and A24, everyone was so supportive of our ADR process and which we've never had the luxury of doing before. I heard there was a 45 page ADR yes, script. It was a lot. That was, that was, and then, and then that was it, well, I said, I probably have to send this up the ladder and get it approved. So I just sent it not knowing if there was going to be any response to it. And Rudin's response was like, this is another movie happening in your soundtrack. But I, but it is important to note that on in production, I think the actors were also, this is another thing that I felt I think was very, a little liberating is you know, like the same thing without the marks, we don't quiet a set. If there's multiple, if there's people in the room, it feels, it, it's, it, what it does is it kind of, the, the suspension of disbelief kind of is hurt for me. If you're in a room where people would be talking and they're not talking. Just a, just a clarification. Normally what would happen when you record a dialogue track is you want a clean track. So if I, if I were recording, if it was a shot reverse shot of Benny and Josh here, when it's Benny's on camera, I'd have the boom on him yes. and we'd make sure that nothing was on his track exactly. and then we'd add the stuff yeah, later. We, everything that's I'm doing right these, now is bad. What we do that's is not we what these literally have people on set so. having conversations off camera and you can hear it. It's in the quote unquote din of the sound. And it and and our our thought is, you use know, that. You, use it a and b. You sometimes it, it bones you in the edit sometimes, but you can fix it. 
and what it does for the performance is better. I mean, it's it's hard. It makes your yes. life a lot more difficult. Uh, but it but it but what it brings is great. There was we did the and short well, film, it's, and it's it's actually funny because and then and then while Ronnie and I are sitting, Ronald Bronstein, who we wrote and edited the film with. We're sitting in there, and for the most part, we're editing, trying not to ADR. You know, the ADR that we did a lot of the times wasn't to. No, Ronnie would always yeah. be like, "Be like, Ronnie, we can just fix it." He goes, "We can't fix it. Yeah. We have to make it work right now." And, and the thing is, the ADR we're talking about isn't really to fix people's lines because of bad dialogue. It was to add new things to the scene, new layers, so, and new things. Yeah. So for the most part, like in the scene in the jewelry store, we would bring in the actors who were there, like all the people extras, in the background, yeah. all the extras. And we're like, all right, we'd play the scene. And we we're like, you're in the jewelry store again. Talk to your friend. And then they would just have a whole conversation. And then we'd say, all right, get Kevin's attention here. And we would kind of add this whole other layer. So if you're listening to it, and then the thing with Skip was, that's what would, it kind of took another level. We saw something he did with his reverb, which is, it's like magic. All of a sudden you snap and he does this thing and it's in the room. Like all of a sudden, it's, it's not there. so much the reverb because that's all. That's, that's like the altiverb, but it's the way it's not, he. It's, it's not the, the way he, It's the way he uses yes. and manipulates. Oh, yeah, you can do the yeah. trick, but it's the way he knows how to do it, and he manipulates people's voices to make it sound as if they're actually undulating in that room. Like he'll be riding the reverb and using it as a whole other track, like volume, and it's insane. So all of a sudden, we're like, oh my god, he's very good at placing. Yes. And and making sense of of the tracks and the Atmos and the way he's working with Atmos and I think I think probably our readers until they see Uncut Gems uh, Roma is an amazing example of this in terms of and I think a little bit what you're talking about is is part of it is I'm, he's helping you it's insane that we could follow the main storyline and what's going on with Sandler. And then it's like, you know, yeah, yeah. this is going on over here. This yeah. gun over there. And in a way it almost like stresses you out. Cause it's like all these things are happening are actually stresses for Howard yes, and, and exactly. Sandler. And so that the idea that you could do that is probably amazing. On an oral level. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. and still track. Cause yes. one that you can still track the, well, the crazy thing story, about the so. opening of this movie is <clears throat> it was, it was originally like a 30 minute, overture that we condensed into seven minutes so on top of the malaise of sound and the, the melange of sound and and the the incredible work that skip did and 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 uh you know the the plot is condensed so you're having the opening of this movie you really are like you dropped into it you know what i mean and it's like a rocket and you're and you're trying to catch up with howard because that's the type of guy he is and, uh, and, and, and yeah, the sound is a reflection of that. I wanted to say one thing that I thought was a cool um, parallel to our approach to, on set was um, when we were shooting this, uh, this short film called Black Balloon, there was a, uh, there's a moment in the short when, when um, the hero balloon uh, breaks free a bunch of balloons that are in a, in a caravan um, in uh, Sunset Park. And... We, Sean was like, you know, I told Sean, this is where we're going to set the camera. He goes, we only have two glasses that we can break. I was like, yeah, 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 I know. He's like, all right, uh, um, are you are you sure? This was on the opposite side of underneath the BQE. There was an overpass. It wasn't was the BQE. It, was it, was it wasn't it, the BQE, no. Where it was it? It was, all the, it was in Brooklyn. I think it was the BQE above us. I don't think it was the BQE. Either way, there's an, a raised roadway in, there was in just an the, industrial area. On, we're on the opposite side of, a, of, an, of a kind of eight lanes of traffic, you know? Yeah, there was a and and there was the the probability of the moment of impact of glass breaking, the probability of it being blocked was probably sixty percent, sixty percent, maybe a little higher. A truck could come by, and that's it. You miss it. You miss the moment. And 
and you know that was just pointed out to us you know it but the shot and it's the only place you could have seen the action from from my point of view and and it added to it added to it it added to the stress of it that there are cars running through and it and subconsciously i think that people make it makes the stunt feel less catered to which makes it feel more happenstance well and especially with that because these are balloons yeah, these, yeah, the yeah. whole thing is these are f- balloons that are moving through the air and breaking out their friends no but that everything w- about it was not real and here we are approaching it like we're f- catching these people walking across the street skip bringing up skip is is interesting because this was the cool thing about this movie the incredible thing about this movie and in a weird way it almost feels like at some point, someone's going to come up to us and be like, sorry, you're done, um, is that it, it felt a little unreal. And uh, it was, we just felt like, it's, we, I felt, we, we, we didn't want it to end because we were working with all this incredible, incredible talent. Randy Balsmeyer, who did our opening title card. Uh, Skip Livesey. Uh, um, in, in the post process, our VFX team building the Opal inside. The, it just never. It Warren, was so Warren much. Shaw, like he, he, he's like, oh yeah, let me pull this up from. Uh, he had all these sound effects from his movies, and they're just the most incredible sounds. But like, it just felt insane. like it felt like wow, we're we are lucky. This is we are very very lucky to be where we are right now. And I didn't want it to end because I don't want someone to like 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 in the movie with with Howard, like he's busts his ass trying to get this gem and uh he finally gets it and and uh the world says it's of not of value you know what i mean so it's like you kind of be like we had this thing this uncut gem whatever and you're just kind of like working and mining and scoping and scoping and scoping and scoping and you're like oh my god we have the best people around us this is amazing i don't want it to end because if it ends someone's gonna be like you're dead you're gone (laughs) baked into this and i assume it's been baked in since you first wrote the script is this kind of insane thing that I can't believe some producer didn't tell you not to do, which is we're going to have an NBA player. The third act is going to revolve around real NBA games. It's got to be some place that they can drive to, like yeah. Philly. If it's not a Nick, it's got to be like it's oh, got to be. Trust me, this was this Philly. was difficult. And yeah. and then you're also and, you're, and, and, and 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 like built into this like very stressful third act. I don't want to ruin it, but it, it, it's, it's the NBA playoffs. And then you also have to have a player. Who, if, if if they're retired, I mean, not most most players. And you you guys are NBA fans. About a, six months after they're done with basketball, on comes the twenty pounds from yeah. not like running, and you got this guy who still looks like he could play. You can yeah. Go back to two thousand eight. Yeah, yeah, and now. it's just it, it, the, the, the 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 obstacle. It's brilliant the way you're using this, but I I, I have to assume at some point. Like until KJ KJ comes into this, this is this in and of itself is an enormous yes. obstacle, right? It's, but it goes back to putting the camera opposite the roadway and those trucks coming by. If you can make it happen, it's that pocket. If you can make it happen, all of a sudden it's just like, oh my god! It, it, the journey of the player character goes back to 2010 when we started. It started off with Amari Stoudemire. We wrote it for Amari. Amari is a is is Jewish, so that was the black Jewish connection thing was was bigger in that version of the script. Mm-hmm. Um, over the years, you know, it stayed as Amari as we kept trying to hustle and make when this thing work. Did he become a Nick? Is he a Nick at that he, point? He was a Nick in 2010. He was and he left okay. in uh, 2014, I think. Okay. Or right. 2015. So I, I just, I've lost track of that. Uh, and we did a table read with a different actor as Howard in 2015. Uh, and Mari was there. It was actually a bizarro version of the movie. It was like Amari, ASAP Ferg, and Riley Keogh. It, it was a weird grouping of people. Uh, but it felt like Tom Sizemore. It felt like bizarro gems. Um, but um, 
but but the player element of it was was really it was stressful because it was this thing that we kind of like for a very long time in the script was it vacillated. Some of the games were completely fictional and we were like, oh, we'll just figure it out. We would meet with these VFX companies and figure out a way and we were going to get a Nike to sponsor the league. We were going to build a fake NBA league at I one remember point. at one point we were going to reconstruct Madison Square Garden in CG. Remember that? Yeah, it is, <laughs> you know, this is the type of... But at the same time, we had this, we had this uh, uh, kind of... Everest quality, like this hiker on Everest quality, like doesn't matter. We're getting to the top. We're gonna figure it out, and and we just kind of were like, yeah, not a big deal. The big the the obstacle of working within the constraints of reality, constraints of reality, was always very exciting because we knew it would line up and 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 work with fiction and reality in a very cool way. But the player element, I remember one point, like you know this the age this agency told us this that Kobe Bryant was interested in acting and we were like ooh wow Kobe Bryant would actually get us a bigger budget and like this would be great 2012 I, he had this great season like but the then end. we have to do the very specific thing is it can't be a game in Los Angeles it has to be during an east coast stretch mm-hmm. so we look through all basketball reference like became Brooklyn, like our New York. basketball <laughs> reference became like our go to website you know all the time it was a great website and uh, and and we would just look through and mine looking for de- like looking for statistics that could be bet on and and we actually and then the spent, he's got to be a star player he's exactly. got to score he's got He's got a gem game. We kept calling them gem games. There was a handful of players we were we met with, and then uh, a Kobe. We ended up writing for two weeks, changed the whole script because not only are you changing the logistics of the games, you're changing the personality. Like I said with Amari, he's Jewish. That with Kobe, it was all about the gem was a youth elixir, and he was going to go back to his rookie years basically with this gem. So you, it changes the DNA of the movie. Because yeah, your character, this is a central it, yeah. character, just like Howard. It's a central character with his own motivations, his own thoughts, his own feelings. So you, so that became really stressful. The agency would be like, "What's taking so long?" I was like, "I gotta rewrite the whole script." That's what's taking so long, Kobe you asshole. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that, when someone says, "What's taking so long?" They don't realize that we don't just our script was like was like a sweater with a little thread sticking. And you pull on one, all of a sudden the whole thing is fucking unstrewn. Then we ended up. Um, then we were going to make the movie contemporary. We met the weekend. Uh, we became friends, friendly with him after heaven knows what. Then friends after a good time. And then he was like, let's collaborate. Let's do some stuff. So then we're like, oh, we'll go contemporary. And we became we became friendly with Joel Embiid, which was awesome. And his and, manager, and Jenny's actually in the movie. She, she plays, plays Kevin's manager. So so Joel and Joel that became was the African connection. This thing was taken from Africa, brought to America, and he wants to reclaim it. And that became an issue that changed the script also. But it was 20 when he had some gem games and he's in Philly. So it was close. And uh, he had a couple good New York games. So that became a 20. It was a contemporary film for a lot for a while, for like a year, maybe a year and a half. And we met with Joel a bunch. We talked with him. I felt very comfortable that he could be himself. He projects a persona anyway, like Kevin Garnett. He plays like the heel at a lot of arenas. So when when the production, when Sandler couldn't shoot until fall, and production slipped into the fall. And we were like, Joel's like, I can't. I'm sorry. I'm I'm in the NBA. Yeah. Sorry, buddy. Uh, I get paid a lot of money to play basketball. Well, then, um, so now you need a retired. So now we're going back to the player. drawing board. And it's like, yeah, you need a retired player, somebody who is a good enough to have these jam games, and then also he needed to have a good game, a bad game, and a good Wait, game. And it had to be because now yes. the weekend is a central part. It had to be in the on, yeah. sc- in the stretch of of his public thing. So you're talking about twenty. 
13-ish. And I no, can't 20, stress 12. this enough. Yeah. Once they retire, they also still have to look like they're playing. Exactly. Yes. So no, Amari Stoudemire is... Yes. Was, so we went back to Amari. We're like, hey, Amari. He, still, he, was still, he, had, he has dreads. And he, we said, but he was need still to match these shape. games. Oh. But, um, but weekend wouldn't have worked. Yes, it would not. And it, so, it's, so, but again, all of these things are the reality of the world constraining the fiction of the movie, which is what we love. You know, that's something that really forces the movie to kind of bend to the will of reality. So people watch like, huh, wow, I guess Kevin Garnett really was doing this. But everything he's doing, all of his motivations are totally fake. You know, he didn't come to New York and he literally would be talking to us and be like, you realize I would never be here on a game day arguing with this guy. And then he's bringing up Vegas things. If the police burst in, they'd be like, what the fuck is going on? I assume this is fair use. Um, yes, it's okay. fair use. Yeah, that was actually a, that was that was part, of, part it. of the constraints is that we had to... We weren't allowed to change any element of the game at any point, and none of the chronology could be messed up. And the, so, and the movie doesn't change the chronology. You know, so the movie itself isn't affecting these and games. And everything obviously is third-party source, and it's filmed off a screen yeah. and what have you. And you and Ronald did a beautiful job because when there are constraints also in terms of the edit yes, and yes. sound and, it, oh, yes. it, and, and, and how you can use that. And, I mean... It doesn't look like you were at all constrained in, in building well, yes. that stress and, and that feeling of what one feels like when they gamble on a, well, on a game. Yeah, it's also because it's like the thing is, is we're not going to be excessive with the use anyway. That's part of it is you can't be excessive. You're, we're literally only using what they would be looking at, you know. So if he's watching it, you see for what they're watching and then you cut back. So it's again, it's the reality of the moment dictating what you're seeing. I remember on um, someone wrote a really cool thing about fair use in regards to good time with the Sprite bottle. So I'm curious to see what gets written because this was, this this is th what's interesting about this is this is this is real life. You know what I mean? It's it's not, uh, you know, it's not like we're saying that he uh, he had like an actual youth elixir. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, when we had talked about good time, one thing that you had pointed out and is you know, there was an element of how you used Robert Pattinson, which came from something that you guys had seen that you hadn't seen on screen. There's an element of the way he was in real life and how to use that. I bring that up because my instinct here, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is it's not necessarily that case with Sandler because it really seems like you're mining. Yeah. I mean, what you've done with him and created a character with him is, is, is a wonderful, unique thing. But in a lot of cases, you're mining a lot of some of the nervous energy, some of the some of the ways, some of his comedy, some of the ways that he can in some ways, the way he fluctuates in terms of anger and in and, and his comedy and stuff, isn't that different from your film? And I, it seems as if you kind of using what is Adam Sandler on screen was a, was kind of a natural transition to, to Howard, right? Yeah. I mean, I, we, I mentioned earlier about the, this element, the larger than life, local celebrity uh, feeling, the lovability element comes from growing up with, with, with a, with someone, with a performer growing up with him, knowing his record so well, knowing his movies really well, um, <coughs> being able to sometimes look at him and just smile and be like, oh my God, I'm with Adam Sandler, you know what I mean? But then we became close with him. We started to, um, we started to, we started to get uh, deep with Adam, you know what I mean? Uh, the person. Um, and, and you start to see this kind of, deep well of, 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 of strive, stri he strives to find this kind of un, it's basically, it's, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's, it's kind of ineffable. It's, it's, he's searching, he's yearning for this thing 
that will kind of make all of life disappear. Maybe it's a little moment. Maybe it's a joke. Maybe it's seeing a guy with a mustache across the room. Maybe it's, you know, a feeling that he's never felt before. Ooh, that's a new feeling. He has that in real life. And I think that manifests itself in his real life through his work ethic. He works really hard. And, uh, you know, and that came with us. And he was constantly, there was constant discourse, constant conversation about who this character was, why he would do this, why he would do that, what is he doing here, How, what was his parents like, what was it, you know what I mean, and it was, and it, and it, you know, I think that everything's kind of mending together, but, you know, we wanted Sandler, you know, and the difference between yeah. Good Time and this is we wanted Sandler to be Howard in 2012. We never had any in, intention of making Good Time. There's Rob came to us and said, I want to make a movie with you. And we wrote it for him with something that we were interested in and the and, moment. And yeah, there's something about... So by nature, it has that, what you're, it has this element that you're talking and about. And there's something about what Sandler does in those comedies. It's, they're so absurd. Yeah, totally. And yet he totally grounds it in himself. And while you're watching, you believe that he's, these things are happening to him. And you care about him. And that was the thing is you needed to care about Howard winning. You wanted him to succeed. And that's what was so important to have... Adam being it and just kind of leaning into those feelings of him. But then again, it's like there's a moment when he when he breaks down in the movie and he's just kind of it's there's there's kind of you see the the flaws. You know, he's he's he can only hide it for so long. And then when you kind of understand and see underneath it, you're like, oh, my God, he does feel these things. And it's a lot of that was um, important. I want to leave it here. Uh, your your friend uh, Barry Jenkins took to Twitter to give you a very positive review recently. Yeah, I saw him after the screen. Yeah. Crazy. And he, he wrote something that made me think, and I, I saw him, he poses a question, I want to throw it out to you. I haven't read any critical analysis of the film, but I'm keen to see someone unpack the brothers' repeated depictions of addiction. Three films now, and while it's understated here, it adds a layer to Sandler's performance that will click for, some, for those who've been a party to addiction. I, we, we could talk about addiction, but there's also just, and I, I bring this up in light of what we were just talking about, Sandler, there is a drive, there is this thing, compulsion. a compulsion yeah, 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 yeah. that drives your film. I don't know if you guys use the word addiction in thinking about it. I mean, I think in this movie, it's fair to say that he has some, some gambling addictions. But I yeah, mean, I, I think we had real gambling addicts talk oh, to him yeah. and we watched games with them. But, but you know? we never we never talked yeah. about it in that way. Yeah. You, never, you never say, oh, the, you yeah. know, we never... Ronnie too. We were I was talking about this with Ronnie the He's like we never talked yeah, about never his addiction. See, but, I wouldn't have but, used but the word addiction. I would have used the word compulsion, which is no, there's, there's but this I, thing but I understand what Barry's mm -hmm. getting at, and I think and compulsion. I think I th and I mentioned this also earlier. Is the idea is that the movie is a reflection of the ten year journey, and this 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 compulsion to to get to the top of that mountain and just see it through under any circumstance. At one point, we were going to make a very different version of this movie, but we were going to make it because there was too many great ideas in here, and it was the summation of a lot of things that we wanted to abandon. You know, this idea that you can, that an uncut gem, this thing that's ugly and rough on the outside, but if you get down deep into it, you can find these beautiful traits in it. And and it was just a perfect avenue for it. And and the And the gambling element of it was just second nature in the journey of us basically do, doing taking a lot of gambles to get this movie made. We had to parlay a lot of things in order to basically we had to parlay and, Lenny Cook the documentary yeah. with Heaven Knows What the film Into with Good Time and Good Time and then good, that would equal like, gems. That's wait, the parlay. That's the big hit. He's at like, the end if this for us, doesn't you know? go in, we're fucked. If Good Time fails, we're fucked. You know. But, <laughs> but the gambling element of Howard's life isn't just his sports gambling. He's gambling every element of his life. Every relationship, and yeah. 
for the payoff. And it's this idea. And the, and a gambler in particular is so frustratingly optimistic. And that optimism is very different from like, you know, like an addict in heaven knows what, where it's more of a pessimism. You know what I mean? The, the gambler's optimism is is frustrating because it's like, oh, everything's going to be good. It's going to be amazing. This is going to happen. Everything's always going to be incredible or amazing. There's always, there's and, always a- and the windfall is going to happen. And I think that, Again, it goes back to putting that camera across the thing. You're taking a big gamble, but if you get it, it pays off. And it's this idea of just paying off. That's why now, after this long journey, it makes us, it's a slightly, slightly strange feeling for me, Benny, Ronnie, everyone who worked on this film over the past 10 years, because it's like, okay, we did that. Now, now what? Where do we start betting? You know what I mean? It's like, it, we I have projects. Writing, you're writing you know, and you yeah, don't know we have projects we're working on. You don't on. know which one, though, right? Uh, we have a handful that we're vacillating between we don't right know now, but, but we, there's stuff we could do, yeah. All right. Well, thank you thank very you. much, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much.